You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. The largest city in this country, the fourth largest city in North America, is having an election. Now, if you're not in Toronto, you may not have heard. But if you are in Toronto, the polls show you probably don't care. Some people don't even want to hear about it. You're tired of the, the pitches that politicians are, are bringing them. There is a distance between people um, in their day-to-day lives and the places where you make decisions, like the city council table. It doesn't matter who gets in power, my life is the same. Nothing changes for me. I think it's really incumbent upon us to get off our butts and vote. Currently, a couple of weeks before the vote, there are almost no credible challengers to Mayor John Tory. His main rival is polling miles behind him. The past couple of years have forced this city to face, say it with me now, unprecedented challenges. But even the possibility of reshaping Toronto after a -a once-in-a-century pandemic doesn't seem to hold much allure to voters. There are no shortage of issues facing this city from housing to public health to inequality to simple services like garbage collection or swimming lessons. Tory's opponents, and even reporting in the media, has painted a picture of a city in decline. And look, a simple walk around Toronto's downtown core will offer any observer plenty of examples of that. So why is the mayoral race all but over already? Why is expected voter turnout low and shrinking? Why do so few people engage with municipal politics not just in Toronto, but across this country, even when they'll be feeling the impact of this election more directly than any other they get to cast a ballot in. What happens when a city's election stops mattering to all but a few people in it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. David Ryder is the City Hall Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. He has covered plenty of municipal elections. Hello, David. Hi there. David, Toronto is choosing potentially a new mayor this month. It's a big municipal election. The race for mayor must be super close, right? Uh, You would think so. John Tory has been mayor for eight years. Often at this time, we'd see sort of time for a change or let's look at somebody new. We have a total of 31 people, including John Tory, running but all indications are that it's not a close race at all. The John Tory doesn't have a major challenger. He, he has some challengers who are notable, but it seems like, barring a meteor strike or something, that John Tory will probably remain mayor for a while yet. I'm not going to get you to go through all 31 candidates, but you mentioned there are a couple of notable ones. If this election was closer, who would be the main challengers? Well, a guy named Gil Penalosa is running sort of the biggest campaign against John Tory, has the most endorsements and the most policy. Having said that, it's still a shadow of what we would often see from a big name challenger. So Gil is well known. He's an urban kind of life advocate, uh, somebody who's an expert in cities and especially in cities helping fight climate change. He's extremely well known in, in those circles and he's, you know, speaks, he does TED Talks and speaks to... um governments in different parts of the world, but he's not really well known in Toronto. Uh, I think if you stop the average person on Young Street or somewhere in the suburbs and said Gil Penalosa, they would shrug, they'd have no idea. So he's running as a progressive, but uh, the uh, part of the unusual thing about this election is 
you know, John Tory is kind of, I think most people would consider him a center-right kind of mayor, that you would think he would be a challenger either from more on the right, somebody like Doug Ford we had run in the past, or certainly from the left. We've had Olivia Chow and other kind of big-name people from the NDP establishment running, but this time none of them stepped forward to really take a run at Tory. Why hasn't anyone stepped forward? This is the biggest city in Canada. This is a huge job. Where is the competitiveness uh, to take it over? You know, it's a great question. I don't think we have a definitive answer. I think that the best answer I can come up with is that during this past term, this was John Tory's second term, the pandemic overshadowed everything. And a lot of the normal kind of arguments we would have over making Toronto a better city or a more livable city or more economically sustainable city kind of went out the window because most of the city council, including John Tory's normal opponents, kind of pulled together and said, you know, we got to work together to try and get as many people vaccinated and figure out whether we need a mask policy and how to kind of end this plague. So I think that there's that, that people were just like, you know, it was a bit of a weird kind of term. So we're not going to like, what are we going to fight them on? And I think there also is just a bit of pandemic exhaustion. I think we've seen it on the part of we have fewer than normal candidates overall in this race. Um, You know, there's a bit of a low energy feeling to the election. And I think that maybe spilled over to some of the candidates where people who might have, you know, it's a pretty exhausting thing to try and take on generally popular mayor and just nobody seemed to have the energy to do it. We're going to talk about Toronto for the next few minutes here, but for those listening not from Toronto, stick around because there's a bigger conversation, I think, to be had here about municipal politics and uh, the lack of, I guess, uh, competitiveness in Canada generally. But first, David, I'm not asking you to be partisan or to to criticize or endorse Tory here, obviously, but I want to know as someone who who lives in the city— what did John Tory run on last time? Like, what were his major promises and how much of that has he delivered on? Obviously, the pandemic derailed some things. But, you know, if somebody was really pushing him here and there was a fierce debate, what would Tory be pointing to as his signature achievements from this term? Sure. So in 2018, I mean, he he has, as he as he did in the previous election, that he, the, the first election he won, he promised to keep property taxes low at or below the rate of inflation, which back then was, you know, running kind of two to three percent. So very low, almost almost a minuscule kind of tax increase. He he did deliver on that. Having said that, the pandemic has blown a giant hole in our finances. And Toronto is looking, I think we're on track. We need like an eight hundred and fifty million dollar bailout because we spent so much money. Uh, on so many things to help fight the pandemic. And we lost so much revenue from things like our transit system. So he, you know, he can claim a lot of people are saying that's not really a badge of honor given the state of the city in lots of ways, but he can claim that property taxes uh, so far have remained low. Another kind of uh, thrust of his campaign was uh, housing, which is, uh, is recognized as a huge issue in Toronto. He promised the Housing Now program, which is basically using, it's a variation of another program, but it's using underutilized city land, things that might have been a parking lot or a city building that was no longer needed, and getting developers to build housing on it as lo- uh, with sort of lots of incentives for the developer but they had to have a certain amount of number of units being uh, affordable of various kinds of low of low income housing that has happened there are lots of projects proved or underway at various stages 
However, critics can point out that none of the none of the units have actually opened, that it's kind of like still in the works, and we we haven't completely seen the the proof in that pudding. The other main thing is uh, that I think that where he's you know vulnerable is in uh, the first election he promised the smart track, which was going to be a kind of a new transit lines using existing surface rail lines that were not being used very much. Sounded very appealing, helped get him elected, but Smart Track. And so in 2018, he said, I'll continue work with Smart Track. The fact is, Smart Track really only exists as a concept anymore. The Ontario government unveiled its own transit expansion policy, including for Toronto and Smart Track, which I think a lot of experts would say was made more sense for as a branding exercise than an actual transit policy. Smart Track is really being subsumed into the Ontario government plan, the Ontario line and other lines. You, you really, it's hard to point a finger and say, it, you know, Smart Track is here or there. It barely exists, if at all. But then, as I said, the pandemic kind of took over and that really was the story of his, of his second term of 2018 to 2022. Now, just to be transparent here, I live in, you know, East End Toronto in the beaches. I'm definitely what uh, suburban voters would refer to as, you know, a downtown Toronto liberal. But to your point, as as I see us moving on uh, from the immediate danger, at least, of the pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of criticism of just, you know, the state of the city. You know, we see a ton of photos of garbage cans or, or park bathrooms still being locked years into this pandemic. There's a lot of progressive criticism, but to your point, aside from Penalosa, maybe not a lot of progressives actively running against John Tory or trying to make it better. Why is that happening? Well, yeah, I mean, I think basically Tory has found a kind of center or centrist political groove that seems like he doesn't, he, he angers a lot of progressives, especially if you look at Twitter, it's not hard to see. You would think he's the most unpopular mayor in the history of Toronto. But of course, most voters don't spend much time on Twitter. So he's kind of, he hasn't angered people too much, say on the uh, renter side, the lower income side, or the homeowners. He might have done things, the, the, the property owners in, in the various, especially in the suburban Toronto. And he also, when he speaks, like I, I kind of say, it's kind of like a fog sometimes. We'll start asking him a question, and you know, a fairly pointed question in a in a uh, news conference. And he talks and talks and talks and kind of takes uh, like this, uh, this alleyway and that alleyway. And by the end, sometime we've forgotten what, what the question was. So he's, right. got, he's got that, which is actually a, 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 a valuable political skill. But there is a there is a drumbeat that I think you know is kind of the main opposition to him this time, and Gil Penalosa is pushing it. I don't I don't think it's going to help him win, but I think Tory is feeling it. And the drumbeat from the progressive side of the city is that that Toronto is a city in decline, right? And then it's largely due to John Tory's insistence that property taxes in the past be kept at or below the rate of inflation. So uh, people point to parks where wash, washrooms remain uh, locked. For no apparent reason, that where water fountains don't work, um, we've had issues with haphazard snow clearing in some cases where where um, people were kind of snowed in for days on their own street in Toronto. Recreation programs canceled for lack of staff and more. Um, so this has become a main talking point in the election. I will say, uh, uh, self promotion partly because the Toronto Star has highlighted what we call the price of long term austerity in the city. Tory is sort of combating it and saying, no, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But he is sticking to a pledge, not not to keep uh, taxes, property taxes at or below inflation, but actually say for sure into 2023, if he's reelected, 
property tax increase will be below the rate of inflation because inflation is high right now with 7% or something like that. And just for context, Toronto has lower property taxes than all the municipalities like Mississauga and Brampton and Oshawa, all of them around Toronto has, Toronto taxpayers have the best bargain going. You mentioned that it might not help unseat him because there's no real realistic challenger. But you also said that Tory's been hearing that criticism and been feeling it. What has he promised to do about those day-to-day austerity measures, as you guys call it, that are impacting the quality of life in the city? Has he addressed that with any kind of concrete plan? He really hasn't. I mean, he he has lots of policy and it it basically he is just relying on, uh, sorry, keep saying he's, you know, going to ensure there's enough um, investment in the city while making sure it doesn't become unaffordable and we don't tax people out of their homes. So, you know, he he is he uh, got kind of widely mocked over the long weekend because he, he released a parks policy that was saying he was reaffirming his commitment to the city parks. And he's going to do, you know, he, he can talk, he can talk with some justification about expanding. We have the Bentway, which is a, a park kind of underneath an elevated highway that's considered quite innovative. But as far as the general state of things, he hasn't really addressed that yet in a, in a really fulsome way. Last question about Toronto. If the mayor's race is a foregone conclusion, um, you're watching everything else that happens at City Hall. What should Torontonians be paying attention to in this election? Yeah, well, we're, we're blessed this time with, with a lot of interesting city council races. A record number of councillors decided to step away from City Hall. We have seven open races, most of them in downtown, but some, a couple in the suburbs. And then among the ones where there are incumbents trying to get elected, we also have some interesting races. So one with an open race, and uh, our polling showed is probably the tightest race in the city, is in the north part, uh, sort of north central Toronto in the area called Willowdale, where you have uh, a gentleman named Marcus O'Brien Fair, who was the executive assistant to the outgoing councillor. He wants to continue the policies with some tweaking of his former boss. Um, There's a woman named Lily Cheng, who is uh, really challenging him. And then there's a man named Daniel Lee, who is kind of running from the political right. Big issue there is, is housing and especially a supportive housing project which is for three-story building that the city wants to build that will be people for coming right out of homelessness, sort of the next step or the next perch for those people who were um, who were at the very bottom. Marcus O'Brien Fair is saying he supports it. Lily Chang is saying that she has a lot of concerns about you know impacts on the neighborhood. And then uh, Daniel Lee is saying it just shouldn't be there at all. So that's become a big flashpoint. Etobicoke Lakeshore, we've got a rematch of Mark Grimes, who is an incumbent with some political baggage, and he's up against Amber Morley, who's a young, progressive kind of firecracker. She came very close last time, and she's trying again. Once again, Mark Grimes, the incumbent, got John Tory's endorsement, so that could uh, help him uh, prevail again. And then one where we know we're going to get change is Spadina, Fort York, where uh, Joe Cressy was the public, a very high-profile chair of public health. Uh, he stepped away and has already left. And Osma Malik, our polling says she appears to be on track to find her way to council. As somebody who's covered m- many municipal elections and has made this his beat and has done it over quite a while now, do these elections get enough attention? Uh, and I'm speaking generally here, not just uh, for Toronto, compared to the provincial and federal races. And, and why or why not? 
So they don't. And I think anybody who gets involved in city issues, either as a journalist or works for a city or studies them in university, would say that the, the basically we, we, we pay way more attention to federal and provincial races than we do to city council. And that's reflected in certainly voter turnout. And I think the, the reason we should pay more attention is that municipal races touch your lives way more often and a way more kind of impactful way than federal or provincial policy. I mean, how much property tax you pay, uh, whether your garbage gets collected, whether you have park where the washroom will be open when you need somewhere to change your toddler, all those kinds of things uh, affect you every single day. Whereas, you know, a lot of provincial and federal policy you know, just doesn't in the same way. So why it doesn't is a trick. And I there's a there's not a great answer. I would say a big part of it is, and I'm not advocating for political parties at the municipal level, but I honestly think it's just easier for voters to kind of get their head around this is what the conservatives are like. And I know I don't really know the local candidate, but if he's a conservative, I can guess what he's about, or the NDP or the Liberal or the Greens. With the municipal, they're handed a list of names and really, except if it's not a celebrity or potentially the incumbent who has been their city councillor maybe for years or even decades, they probably have almost no idea who this person is. So we at the Toronto Star and the other media in Toronto do everything we can to sort of shine a light on these people. But it, I think it, it does make it harder for people to get interested when isn't the same kind of party horse race that gets so much attention with the provincial and federal levels. What do you wish that those voters understood better before going to the polls that would perhaps make for, I don't know if it would make for more competitive elections, but at least would make for elections that concentrated on the, like, as you just mentioned, the things that touch people's lives every day. I I think people should just realize that I know it can seem like such a big task to figure out who should be mayor or who should be city councillor. But if you sit down and do, like I'd say, a half an hour or an hour of what can be kind of enjoyable reading because you're reading about what's happening with you and your neighbors and, and your friends and your city, and just you, you can read through their platforms, which admittedly is hard to find, but the Toronto Star website or you know our many competitors have compiled lots of stories to help people compare. There's a, you know, we have a a compass where people can put in what they think about a bunch of issues and it'll suggest these are the candidates who seem most in line with you, but here are the others if you want to look. It's it's an investment, but it's an investment that will pay off because, you know, Toronto's been a successful city. We've become the fourth biggest city in North America, but it's way more successful for some people than it is for others. There's a like a very strong acknowledgement that a lot of people have been left behind. There's lower income people, racialized people, people in different parts of the city that don't get the same services or the same success or the same benefit. And if you don't spend a little bit of time and invest a little bit of your attention into it, you know, there could be really negative consequences. And, and if the city doesn't do well overall, even if you're in a good place, eventually that's going to impact your life. This is my last question, but what happens? I mean, you've covered these races. You've also covered the aftermath of them. What happens when we have an election like the one that Toronto appears to be on course for, you know, with an easy front runner for mayor and what at least so far looks to be like low voter turnout? What happens to the city in the months and years after that? Well, I guess it depends on who wins and how seriously they 
they take their mandate. I mean, I think the big danger is if you have essentially a, a low energy kind of disaffected voter election, the danger is that the politicians win and kind of think they can do whatever they want because, well, the people didn't care before. So, you know, they're, they're going to continue not caring. I mean, I would say that's, that's a dangerous political view to take, but I think it could be, it could be an inevitable consequence. If, if somebody was going to kind of say, to take voters for granted and say, well, people won't rise up. I, I would point to them to the Rob Ford experience in Toronto, 2010, 2014. You know, uh, he was elected with a big support and a big mandate. And then he immediately started saying, well, we're going to close libraries and we're going to remake the waterfront. We're going to do all these things that weren't part of his campaign. And Torontonians very quickly rose up. And, you know, what might have seemed like apathy or acceptance uh, suddenly was like a very strong revolt. We're not going to have those things. We're not going to have a casino in our downtown. And uh, so I'd say to any politicians, you know, be be careful because, uh, you know, people might seem a little bit tired now. And I think a lot of us are tired after what was a kind of a bizarre two years. But, you know, the city didn't get to be as good as it as it has been because people were apathetic. And I think uh, I think and hope people will get more engaged. David, thank you so much for this. And uh, as a Torontonian, thank you and your colleagues at The Star for covering this municipal election. I appreciate it anytime. David Ryder, City Hall Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. If you do live in Toronto, please do learn a little bit about the candidates, just so you won't feel bad later when things suck. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you want to tell us that we're way too Toronto-centric, you can hit us up on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. I would point out to you, though, that we did an episode about Saskatchewan's booming economy just last week. You can talk to us anytime via email hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. You can call us and leave a message by calling 416-935-5935. And you can find this podcast in any podcast player you like. Please do rate and review. And if you want it on your smart speaker, just ask for it by saying, hey, smart speaker, play the Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.